0: well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. From Coolidge, Arizona, on November the 16th, 2017... My, glad to have you all on board. Good to have you all on board tonight. We're in chapter 22 of the book of Revelation. But some ideas to think about first. It would not have been justified to destroy the temple that we experienced in chapter 20, the final destruction of the temple of Israel, without, first of all, having Pentecost And it would have been impossible to begin laying the foundation prior to Pentecost because there was no basis for it. If we had started laying the foundation prior to Pentecost, we would have a flawed foundation today apart from the doctrine of the apostles. So, when we come to the Pentecost, we begin laying the apostolic foundation. Therein, in the foundation of the church. Christ is the chief cornerstone. Would not have been justified to destroy the temple without having had the day of Pentecost when the foundation was beginning to be laid on that day. That's Acts chapter 2. And the establishment as the apostles, as the key people in the perpetuation of the kingdom for 40 years, establishing a foundation throughout the book of Acts to bring us to Acts 20 in the book of Revelation, which is the destruction of the temple, and the temple must be destroyed so that. The new provision of God in the New Jerusalem can be completed, fulfilled, compl- and, and perfected. In chapter twenty-two, with that background, we have in um, we have what God has provided within the New Jerusalem. In chapter twenty-two, in chapter twenty-one. We have learned of the external factors of the New Jerusalem. We have also learned of some of the internal things of the New Jerusalem. But now we are looking at the provisions of God in the New Jerusalem. Now I must say again that we are in the faith age. Let's not call it spiritual. That doesn't mean much to most anybody today, except things that are uh, wrong. We're in the faith age. Let's keep it as the faith age. The conditions that he are that he is describing to us here in chapter twenty-one and twenty-two are the conditions of the faith age. All must travel. No matter how briefly, all must travel, having entered the faith age, all must travel through the faith age prior to entering the eternal destiny. Although what we have in chapters 21 and 22 is describing the destiny in its complete form, we must travel through The faith age. So we're in the age of faith. We have to believe what we are told by someone who can tell us. That's John in this case. Faith is believing what God has said about things that we cannot see. But the time is coming when those who are in the faith age will see. Then it's no longer a faith age, but it is the age of certainty in the final sense. Does that ring clear or not? Do I need to develop that any further for now? And when we enter into that final state, the final destiny, it is because the destiny that we enter into matches who we are And now the faith age is equal to what we are. We have the capability of faith now, and we keep that faith with hope. But when that hope is realized, we no longer have faith. We have reached the end of faith and entered into that age of of our eternal destiny. And the description is the same. The description that God is providing us here through John chapters 21 and 22 is is the entire picture. But we have to enter in and come into the final picture through the faith age. That is, in order for you to enter into the final stage tomorrow, you have to be in it today in the faith age today. You cannot skip. You have to go through the faith age in order to enter the eternal age so he's describing here the splendor of this age of the faith age and where the faith age takes us he's describing that the best that can be described with human language the Bible does not make a distinction between our state here and our future state. And we've read verses of that two or three weeks ago, that God, uh, the, the Scriptures simply don't make a distinction. We're not making a distinction either, but while we are in the flesh, faith is the situation that we are in that allows us to grasp where it is we're a part of, and then secondly, where it is we're going, which is the same thing, But then it won't be through faith, it will be through knowledge. We'll get into more of that possibly tonight. But that's critical because that separates us from all of the denominational world, but they don't know it and we don't know it. The faith age and the conditions of the end product in the faith age are the same as the eternal age. That is, age less. No distinction in the Bible between them. So when we look at the church, we are seeing the, the entire scope of what you and I are eligible for if we go through the faith age. So we have to relook at our lives and our faith. Is it really, is it, is it really properly Defined to us and are we properly practicing the effects of faith in our life and this is the substance of faith where we are right now this is not only the substance of faith but it is the object of our hope and that when we are in the faith age our hope is that we remain true and enter into the age of of eternity. It's the age of splendor. And the future is splendorous. So in verse 1, I didn't quite finish my thought there, is that we are in the faith age because that is our capacity to have faith. And so it is being described to us as people with a capacity for faith. It is described in a way that fits our situation now as well as when we enter the spiritual age, non-faith age, these same things will be described in such a way as we see them through spiritual eyes fit to our condition then. We will then see them through our spirit, the eternal state. We have to go through the faith age to get there. Always described in relationship to fit our situation as to where we are, in the flesh or in spirit. After death, we need no description, as faith and hope bring us to the fullness, the fullness of our inheritance. Now our inheritance is full, but it's conditioned on faith and hope. Does that add a dimension? Mm -hmm. Okay, chapter 22, verse 1. We have to move right along. Then he showed me a river. I have a picture of the little river that we go to in the summertime. I have a picture with me, but I don't know how we can get it to show. But the water is so clear, it just sparkles. You can see the bottom wherever you go. Remember um, Hemlock Lake Mm -hmm. and the river that runs into Hemlock Lake? Mm -hmm. It's clear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It is so clear. Uh, that you can hardly tell. You can walk on that water because you can't see it. It is just crystal clear. And when the sun comes through the leaves, uh, it just sparkles. He showed me a river of the water of life. Now he's talking about some of the provisions. He's given us an outside view He has given us an internal view of the city. Now he's telling us about some of the provisions of God that he has for those folks who are partakers in the New Jerusalem. That means, folks, that if you're not a part of the New Jerusalem that is described here, you're in trouble. He showed me a river of the water of life. The source is it is clear as crystal because what is its source? It is coming from the throne of God. Out of the throne. Out of the throne. It is crystal clear. It sparkles. Out of the throne of God. By the way, throne is singular. Which means that he's talking about the throne of God, and that if Christ is on that throne, he is sharing that authority with God. They're not two separate thrones, uh, or they would be, the, thro- the word throne would be in what, uh, what pl- uh, number? Plural. It would be plural. It is singular. So, out of the throne of, of the God and of the Lamb means that there is one throne. And again, I have to say, who's missing in that scene? according to the evangelical community. Got a couple thrones missing. Got a couple phones missing. And there's certainly no Holy Spirit there as a person. But we're going to find out later on in this chapter that the Spirit is there, but it is who God is and who the Lamb rep and represents who the Lamb is. And that's where we get so messed up. Rather than it being a separate entity, we need to begin thinking of it as it really is, as the definition of who God is and who the Lamb is, and it says something about God and it says something about the Lamb. All right, so the source is pure. Purity must originate with the source. I've given you the story of the Missouri River coming, um, coming down. You know, it starts in with spring water, crystal clear. It comes through Des Moines, Iowa, and by that time, it's muddy enough to plow. And they take a little bit of it out and purify it and use it for drinking water. But the river, the Missouri River, is still muddy. And it's muddy all the way down. You have to go back to the source. And we've talked about that in the church today. Folks, we have to go back to the source. This is giving us the source. We have to get back to God to get things right and to get clear, crystal clear clear water that represents the water of life when you're thirsty there's nothing like a drink of cold water there is just nothing like a drink of cold cold water this is crystal clear and it comes out of the very throne of God it is has a perfectly pure origin and in the middle of its street, on either side of the river, this water, this river, the water of life, and it forms a street, and either on either side of this river was the tree of life. What does that bring up to your mind quickly? What word? How about paradise? You know that we usually refer to Luke chapter 16, Abraham's bosom, and we use that as a type of paradise? It's not. Well, the language twist here is kind of unusual. He's he's using a plural term on a singular word. That's right. Which means then, that he is talking about it um, uh, in the corporate sense, okay. <clears throat> and I, I may talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, so there, there, on the river, there was the tree of life, and I don't know. I, I may come back to that. <clears throat> Let's move on for right now. And it bears 12 kinds of fruit. That's variety. How many of you can name 12 types of fruit real quick? I mean, 12 right now. Come on, come on, quick. See, it's hard, isn't it, to get 12? You might get three or four or five or six. Well, we we'll start with tomatoes. All right. <laughs> That's a start. So you've got there. There is variety. If you've got twelve, that's a pretty good variety. So in God's provision, He has put variety in the New Jerusalem. It's connected to the Tree of Life. He expects people to be who they are, even in the age of faith, when they're a part of the New Jerusalem. He wants you to be partakers of the source of life and the part of that source of life that best fits you to reach your potential as whoever you are. And that's what takes place in the heavenly realm Is that and it begins in the church. It's the place where everyone reaches their potential or can. There's lots of variety. We don't want any we don't want everybody like Jackie. We don't want everybody like Alex. We don't want everybody like Kay. Lana. Greg. Nolan. Neil. We don't want anybody like Dave. No way. But see there's variety. And so, so there's variety. God has a provision there, and when we are involved in it, we find, we find the incentive and the strength and the nourishment for what God has provided in the New Jerusalem for each of us to reach our individual potential, whatever it is. And we're not in competition. Everyone is different. We excel in something and we should allow each other to excel in that something and not compete with them. It is so practical. And it uses fruit every month. Now that's an unusual fruit tree. And the leaves of that tree of life What were they for? Healing of the, the healing of the nations, the bringing together of the nations, the healing of the wounds, the the healing of the differences between the Turks and the Greeks, can only be found in the New Jerusalem, and between China and Russia can only be found in the New Jerusalem. Because there there is nutrition through the word, that's our means of tapping into those leaves, the leaves of of that tree, the tree of life. It was there so that nations could be healed. Didn't say there that they're all going to, does it? But it's there for that it's for that purpose. into healing of the nations is more literally the translation. See that's the tree of life. Paradise then is more a state than a place. When Jesus there are three places in the New Testament where paradise is found in Atlanta just gave that to me not too long ago. And I, I have her through Greg those three verses down here. Luke twenty three forty three, Revelation two, seven, and second Corinthians twelve four. And Luke twenty three, forty three, what does he say? Who can read it? Who knows it? Truly I say to you you shall be with me in paradise. Let me give you a clue here. You don't have to buy it, but think about it. If we put this today in the right slot, truly I say to you now, truly I am seeing you as of right now, I am saying to you at this point, I am saying to you today, you shall... In the future, be with me in paradise. What is there in paradise that makes it special? One thing: the tree of life. So, in Revelation 22, he's talking about that. When he talks about the tree of life, he's talking about then that the the compilation of this whole story is revolving around where the tree of life is. That's paradise. He is talking in a projection that the thief on the cross was going to meet with him in the age of faith where he is. He's not talking about his immediate descent into Hades. That's an opinion Out of Luke twenty-three forty-three. It don't yeah. Don't ask I mean, Don't don't say you don't agree or don't agree. I mean, just ponder that. But revelation two, and there's lots of there's lots of scholarship behind that point. But in Revelation to seven, again, he's not talking about heaven as distinct from the church, but he's talking about the church in Revelation to seven. To him who overcomes. I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. See, that tie, because we're in Revelation, aren't we? It's the paradise of God. The paradise of God is not the ever part of Hades. I've referred to it that way in times past. But I, in reviewing it, I can't do that any longer. The paradise is what we're having described for us right here. It is that provision that God has made for potentially for all of mankind, where there is a tree of life, access to the resources of God. You got that? Full access to the resources of God. That's the tree of life. Then in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 4, he talks about the garden of God. That also is not referring to heaven in the sense that we refer to heaven as our eternal abode, but is referring to the church that introduces to us. He was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible way. He was caught up into that which was representing the place and the state where the tree of life exists. So the physical of Genesis where the, the Garden of Eden was, is referred to as paradise because what identifies it as, the, as what does the tree of life tell us about it that it then can be identified as paradise. That was a physical provision. But remember the things that are physical are temporal. Remember Second Corinthians 4, 18 I think. We read that last week. The things that we can see are temporal, and the physical are examples of things that God has for us that are situations of faith, or some refer to them as spiritual. I don't really like to use that word, but for this case it may help to distinguish the difference. And so it it was an example of what we have today in the church because, folks, the only tree of life that God has is in the church. He doesn't have one anywhere else. It's in this new Jerusalem that came down out of heaven. We have to be participants in it, in the faith age, in order to be a part of that which is to come in the eternal, totally spiritual age. Is that too simple, Lana? I mean, does that... even if, I have to think on that for a while. Oh, okay, and would you do it? Uh, certainly. And and there's no rush. We have two more sessions. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> but think about that for a while. And I have several pages of notes here, and and you know, um, most of what I discovered is they didn't do their homework. Anyway, David, question. Yes. Could John have used that? Uh, phrase the tree of life, because the churches reading this would be familiar with what that is, and, and it would help them to identify with that. That while man is changing, God never does. That's right, right. And God wants us to learn from what is physical. He wa- the temple, the tabernacle, physical tabernacle, tells us something about something that isn't physical. uh, Most of the writing of the word, you know, indicates that. Yeah. It's written in terms that we can understand. So I think you're exactly right. Okay. Exactly. So, the, the leaves of the tree were for the healing, not the separation of people. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you had a church where you had every, every ethnic group a representative as an elder from every ethnic group in your community that would be ideal one one heck of a potluck too what <laughs> one heck of a potluck oh yeah <laughs> yeah okay okay let's go on verse three I hate to go you know there's so much here I don't uh, it's really tough. Anyway, there, there will no longer, in this New Jerusalem, as a part of God's provision, in this New Jerusalem, there's not, not going to be any curse. Now what does that tie us into? It ties us back into the, into the Old Covenant, under, in the Old Testament, into the curse that came upon the earth and came upon mankind. Now, now man was cursed, Well, actually, was he? He was cursed in that he was going to, how did I word it in here somewhere? Um, That spiritual, that when he sinned, verse 2, my notes under verse 2, that the word tree here is in the collective sense, and i give you some verses, but spiritual death, the key here is that spiritual death is going to be shortly followed by physical death. And if Adam were permitted to eat and live, he would live forever, but he would have no salvation of his spirit. It's by the death of Christ that man is freed from sin. It is by the death of the body that man is freed from this life and inherits eternal life both in the age of faith and in the age following faith. Inherits eternal life with God and and the now unseeable heaven. That's how I worded it here. You see that? So there's not going to be, in verse 3, there's no longer any curse, and that means to speak evil of, and a lot of the curse that God placed upon Adam and Eve was removed at the flood. If you go back and read that, you'll find that a lot, some, some of the curse was removed at the flood, but not all of the curse, and the curse had to do with the sin issue had to always be resolved. It means that God no longer could speak well of mankind until he had his sin problem. It it was not a curse of his ability or of his capability. God lost, or man lost no capability. It wasn't until after his sin that God said in chapter 3, you have now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Evil. It it, it almost sounds like you're saying that man was predestined to sin. Well, (laughs) I think he was. Adam wasn't, but man was somewhere along the line. And so he had to be, what was that? It was set up that he could if he chose to. He could if he chose to because it says, and we've already read it in Revelation, that Christ was slain before the foundation of the world was laid. So there must have been a, you see God never starts anything without having already done it see everything that God does has never been done before and uh, God had a plan and uh, his application of that is that when God has an idea you got to remember that with God whatever he plans to do is done before he begins it that's pretty hard for me to do Uh, Greg is wishing it would be that way for him
1: for Atlanta,
0: with all the work around here, just wishing it would be done, and it would be done before you even get started, but so that's basically, the, basically, if you go out and you dig a hole, eventually someone's going to fall in it. that's your intent <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know either knowingly or unknowingly, you know let in whatever, yeah, you know. eventually. I'd like to talk more about this and I know that you don't have time tonight but that was something that Eve chose to do she made that decision she wasn't forced to make it and he made it you see he immediately has a provision for Adam and Eve and I think they're I think they're in the age of faith right now along with us I think they're right here I think Abraham is with us right now They met, if they met the provision we don't know that But Christ was as foreordained as Adam was foreordained not to be the one sinning, but was the one first who did sin, and the curse came upon man that he had to deal with the sin issue. God spoke evil of man as long as he was sin in sin because sin is the separation between man and God. God's gift of man is separated from God the giver when he sins and rebels against him. Now that we need to get a hold of as well. But there's no curse. No longer. When we enter into New Jerusalem, you are free. That's the, that's the main thing, folks. You're free. I've got lots of verses. You can read them. We haven't got time tonight. No longer the curse. And the throne, the single throne of God and of the Lamb, not two thrones, one throne, will be in it. And his bondservants will wonder what it is all day long to do except saying, Jesus loves me, this I know. Is that in your text? It's a bad translation, if it is. We wonder, what are we going to do? People have made to work. But if you take all the stress out of work, and you have only your accomplishments, work is a joy. And it says his bond service will serve him, and the him, the antidote for him is God, not the lamb. How do I know that? Because lamb is in the neuter gender and God is in the masculine gender. You got it? Mm -hmm. He's going to prove me wrong. No, God is masculine. Mm -hmm. Lamb is neuter. So, you understand? Mm -hmm. So they, they will serve him. We serve God the lamb is neuter to represent his sacrifice. The means through which we serve God is through the lamb. The emphasis when the lamb is in the neuter gender is, uh, is upon what it is he did or accomplished. So what what does the word lamb conjure up in your mind? It's the sacrifice. We learned that from the old covenant, the lamb, and now uh, we're learning that in the age of faith, the lamb represents the sacrifice that was paid in order for us to serve God. Where does that put the Jesus-only people? (laughs) Jesus is in subjection to a, his father. He is. Serving servants. Yep, that's right. But we don't have to worry about the, uh, what that relationship is. It is what it says it is. That's right. Amen. Yeah. Now, then, then, uh, so, so verse 3, that, that's probably all I need to say there. And they will see his face. Another one of the provisions are that you will see his face. And his name, his, and his name will be on their foreheads. Now, when you see his face, let's go, to, boy. You know, I just hate to miss some of this stuff. First uh, Corinthians chapter thirteen. First Corinthians, th- first chapter thirteen. <clears throat> you can see, I don't think I have that verse in there, but you might add it to your notes and number under verse four. First uh, Corinthians chapter thirteen and verse. I want to read verse 12 and I'm not going to take time he can try to proof it for you if you need it I'm just going to paraphrase it now 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 you got it we see in a mirror dimly but then then, then is referring to what happens in verse 10. When the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. That is, when the, when the fragments are assembled together, is what that word means, They're the, in part, when the fragments come together, we have prophesied in segments, we have prophesied in pieces, in fragments, but when we're done, all those come together, and then you have a perfect whole in verse 10, a perfect completeness. But when the perfect comes, perfect is neuter. It it's not referring to Christ. You may have to check that. Folks, we may have to go five minutes over tonight. Please be patient. I don't want any tomatoes yet. Perfect. It's an adjective, and and it's neuter. So what about all the Pentecostals who say this is referring to Jesus? They're referring to him as an it. Then why don't we refer to the spirit, which is neuter, always as an it? That would be right. But you see, here they're referring to an it, making it a him, and it isn't that. It's the completion of the part the complete the completed when all of that all of the fragments have been assembled together then the, the fragmentary aspects of it will all be done away it'll be a whole when i was a child i used to speak as a child think as a child reason like a child and when i became a man i put away my toys he's saying those things that were meant to fill the gap between the apostolic age and the completeness of the scripture the completeness of the word, they were like toys. They were for the immature until everything could be assembled together and then they were no longer needed. Now, in verse uh, verse 12, but this is a verse I wanted to get to, for, <clears throat> for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, See, when the scriptures are completed, now through them we see ourselves face to face. Now I know in part, I know in fragments, but then with the completion, when all the fragments of revelation are brought together into one source, then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. Now, I'm going to give you one more thing to think about here on this. Let me go back and read it. I'll read it according to uh, that I shall know. And see see that, oh, my, um, I shall know, that oh, my, right down there. Oh, my is, is, well, it's probably going to tell you it's passive, but it's really in the middle voice. Yeah, they're, calling that middle voice. Oh, and they're calling it middle voice. Okay, what does that mean? Look <laughs> it, they, they got it right. That's really unusual, I, and I haven't checked it out. Thank you, Alex. So then I will know myself fully. Oh, now doesn't that put a little different view on it? See, then I will know myself when the scriptures are complete, as they are now, and the the inheritance has been fully provided by the coming down out of heaven of the new Jerusalem. Now we know the scriptures are complete, and the object of them is so that I can know myself even as I am known. So if you don't read the scripture from the standpoint of learning to know yourself, you're reading it amiss. That's why there's no change made in our people. We don't personalize this stuff. But now faith, hope, love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Because faith and hope are a part of the faith age. They continue through until you die, and then you enter into the age of love. Love comes complete. It's greater. The end of the greatest of these is love because it goes all the way through. The faith age and the spiritual age. All right. And they will no longer in verse 5 be any night, and, and they will not have the need of light of a lamp, We've already discussed that. Nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. I need to talk about one thing there, and that is they will reign uh, right there. They shall reign into the age. The age is. and from that age through the ages into the age that has no end. I have to add that because there's no way, no way for us to say it otherwise. The age upon the age. They will enter into the age. You see, that's not shown here in your English at all either. And there, that's worthy of a whole lot of discussion. And they shall reign, not shall reign forever and ever, but they will reign into the age ages. The age of faith, because of why they are illumined by God. What is the me? What is the modus operandi? How does He illumine us? Through what? What is my the thy word is a lamp unto my feet, from Psalms. Okay. So in verse six, and He said to me, "These words are faithful and true." Would you doubt that? We're talking about God's provision in the New Jerusalem that you and I today are partakers of. It came down out of heaven, the nations have access to it, it has gates people can go into it that's not true once you've dead once you're dead and into the land of the resurrection you know in the final state um, there is no leaving it and there's no coming into it until unless you're a part of the age of faith so we learned about tonight we've learned about the tree of life which is paradise it's a state not a place not physical but it's a state of being, where there is a, wherever there is the tree of life, where we have access to the provisions of God, everything that God has provided for us is so that our spirits can be made holy. We have told, we've said that, you know, that's the access to life. It was forbidden in Eden. Now it is voluntary. We can enter the tree of life now at our will, by our obedience to the gospel. Verse 3, there is no curse. And there's just one throne, that the curse removed allows us to serve God with a whole heart, and that it's a place of activity because we are serving God, but we better serve him here first, or we won't know what to do with ourselves when we get there. We have to learn what that is. Verse 4 talks about the face of God, but that face of God is revealed to us through his word, And when we come to it, we see ourselves as we truly are. Verse 5, it's it's that we are going to reign from age into ages. It is a perpetual state of being of those who are in the New Jerusalem. Verse 5 or verse 6, that the word shortly, and I have several verses here. I'm not going to take time to read them tonight but several verses that we it is obvious that he's talking about shortly means shortly that this book folks all of this is the it is in the process when it is being written of being fulfilled the book this book is prophecy but it is not a new prophecy and he says the prophecies all of the prophecies here we have discovered in the Old Testament. Now they are all being quickly with speed fulfilled, must soon, shortly come to pass. And behold, he adds to that I am coming quickly. And when he comes this time, he doesn't come and stay for a long, go away. That's why it's called the uh, parousia. Because when he comes at the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction and judgment against the Jews, he remains and we access his presence in the new Jerusalem. See, that's what the age of faith is about. And it was going to happen shortly when this book was being written shortly is not 2,000, 3,000, 5,000, 7,000 years. Behold, I am coming quickly, and this time I'm not leaving. He came, he stayed, he's here now, and in the church in first, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, 22 and 23, this is the presence of God now, and the presence of Christ now. Not in the future, but now, and continuing forever. Behold, I am coming quickly, Never to leave again. Blessed is he who heeds, and the word blessed is not the word utilize, it's the word makorios, and it means contented is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. He's not talking about people 2,000 years down the line. He's talking about the people who are participants in the seven churches of Asia in chapters 2 and 3. I heard and I saw, and I, oh, notice and John in verse 8 in conclusion tonight I John I am the one who heard and saw these things Is John impressed Is he overwhelmed He certifies to us these to be actual visions He's certifying them as actual visions. I am the one. I am the one. I heard, I saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I was overwhelmed. I was so impressed. I fell down to worship at the feet who showed me these things. These things. And you know what? We're going to have to leave John in that state till next week. Two weeks weeks from tonight. No class next Thursday night. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a good time in your word together tonight. It's just so rich, so beautiful. The harmony of the old and the new all comes together so clearly. May our commitment be to be a part of that which you have designed for us and be able to partake of all of the provisions that you have for us through your word in the New Jerusalem. Thank you for it. In Jesus name, amen. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?